practical but deeply spiritual. There is something really spiritual about your practical life. How many of you know? Um, something happens in my heart when I kiss my wife. It's more than just my lips touching her lips. Like the practical side of us making sure we purpose affection has deep spiritual value in that relationship. This is the case in the kingdom of God. Um, your spiritual life has practical value and your practical life has spiritual value. And you need to see these things. And today, as we continue in our church-wide Bible study in the book of Nehemiah, we're in chapter 8. And we're going to see this with great clarity. So, open your Bibles, if you would. Nehemiah chapter 8. We have been in this study of this book. It's been really incredible just to go through it chapter by chapter. Um, and just ask the Lord to awaken within our hearts what he desires for us to study and learn and know. And so, Father, just even as we read your word together, I pray you would help us to understand what you're desiring to reveal. Uh, I pray, Father, you'd help me to be surrendered in my thought process and awakened spiritually to what you're desiring to even awaken in this conversational expression together. And Lord, help us all to hear what you're desiring to say. And we just acknowledge your word clearly says in 1 John 2, you do not need a man to teach you, for God himself through the anointing will teach you. So give us ears to hear, Lord, what you're desiring to reveal as we come together under the anointing of your word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to read the first six verses to get started. And all the people gathered as one man. This is incredible unity. They gathered as one into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe. Here we're now being introduced to Ezra in the storyline of the book of Nehemiah. If you remember the progression, there have been uh, three returns from exile. And uh, this is the third return that Nehemiah led. Ezra led the second return. And now they're partnering together in this process. And so Ezra, they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the 17th month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. How many of you think I can preach a long sermon sometimes? <laughs> Nothing compared to this guy. Early morning to midday, in the presence uh, of the men and the women and those who could understand. And I like this. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Their ears were attentive to what God was speaking. Verse 4, And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform... Where did he get the wooden platform? Nehemiah built it. Important that we see that. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Let's try that. Amen, Amen, and we lift up our hands. One more time. Amen, Amen, and we lift up our hands. So today, why don't we put into practice what we see as an exuberant response to that which God is revealing. And when you sense a word, maybe that the Lord is revealing in your own heart, the anointing is teaching you, then set your faith in agreement with your so be it, which is what amen means, and you say, 
amen, amen, and we lift our hands and just receive what the Lord desires to reveal. Amen, amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So what's beautiful about this text is that we see how God used Nehemiah, who discovered his work was the work of building. And then, as a result of him building what God had called him to build, we then see Ezra standing on the platform Nehemiah built, doing his work in teaching, reading, teaching the Word of God. And so something powerful begins to trans, uh, transact in all of this. But the thing that you have to understand, and I just want to make sure I'm listening to the Lord in the way that we're walking this out, because I feel this is a really, really vital piece of information for us in the room. You are not more or less anointed or gifted than anybody else in the room. There are people who have bought into the fact, well, other people are just really anointed and other people are just really gifted. That is not true. You actually, each one of you has more power at work within you than any army in the face of the planet. Do you understand that? Like God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we could ask or imagine. He is at work within your heart. You not only have enough joy that exists within you to conquer any depression you have, you have enough joy within you to conquer depression planet-wide, worldwide. That's the kind of power you have. This exists within us. So allowing that to be awakened within us then begins to release and unleash the power to transform the world around us. And this is the way God works in his kingdom. He awakens things within us to transform the world around us. And we see these two men working together in tandem according to their gifted life. And so... This is phenomenal because Nehemiah was a government employee. He served the king. He was a builder. He came and he did all this work building. And in, in that journey of preparation and building, now Ezra stands up to declare the word. Nehemiah and Ezra, they did not compare. They, they chose to complement. They didn't compete, but rather they complete the work that God desired for them to do. I felt the Lord was saying to me as I was praying into this that this is a moment that we need to pause for a moment and surrender the spirit of comparison to Him. Yeah. Amen. 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 We are, I mean, it's just so easy to do, particularly in the world of social media. We're constantly looking at somebody else's life, constantly feeling like, you know, I've heard people say this often now, but we compare uh, our uh, what's it called, something to their highlight reel. I mean, we compare, you know, our, our lives overall to the highlight reel of the people that we're looking at when we're seeing them on the social media. And it's like, man, I could never compare to that. You, you don't have any idea what they're going through in their personal life. I don't care how pretty you can make yourself look. You can be broken on the inside. I mean, you know, it's true. And we all just need Jesus. I mean, we were singing it a while ago. Every one of us needs Jesus. We all need the Lord to help us in the deepest, most broken part of who we are. So rather than me trying to compare with you, I just want to stand before the standard of Jesus Christ and let him do a work within me, forming Christ within me. That's what the Bible actually says. Rather than you trying to come up with, you know, the best expression you can possibly have to represent the Lord well, why don't you learn, and, and I know this is just a... I'm, I'm lobbing an oversimplification at you. But we must learn to die to ourselves 
so that he's forming Christ within us. Anybody going through a difficulty right now? Do you know that when you're in a moment of difficulty, you can make the choice to identify with Jesus in that moment of difficulty and become more like him as a result? In essence, every difficult situation you face becomes a tool in the hand of God to make you more like Christ. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to you. Do you see how this works? Like God's setting you up. You're suffering, you're dealing with whatever it may be, your, your name is being maligned, you've been, you know, scenarios happen in your life and, and, and you're, you're, you know, maybe fired from your job for something, you know, you didn't do, whatever happened, but, but you, you take that situation and you say, all that I'm suffering right now, I'm going to recognize Jesus was falsely accused, Jesus was beaten and neglected and criticized, whatever you're facing, hey, anybody here have any critics? When somebody criticizes you, nobody here has any critics, right? We have critics. People are going to criticize you. What do you do with that? Do you get angry with them? Or do you actually allow their criticism to help you become more of the person God wants you to become as you surrender that to Him? And rather than offering your strong, valiant reaction, you listen to the Father and respond. Lord, lessen our reaction, deepen our response. Amen and amen and the lifting of our hands we call that down and receive that in Jesus mighty name Amen. stop comparing Amen. Nehemiah built the platform in such a way isn't it interesting Ezra stood on a platform with the word of God elevated you understand like that's what this was this what was happening very specifically the word of God was elevated specifically this is part of why I'm asking would you just bring your Bibles to church in a digital world, we have to really purpose human moments. And there is something about walking in, carrying this, that actually is the expression within our hearts and a reminder. This is the authority of God and truth that we surrender to. This is why they built a platform where the Word of God would actually be held higher than humanity because the Word of God is the standard that you and I should surrender our hearts and lives to regardless of what humanity may, may say. Community around us, society around us, they have a lot of opinions and they are really confused about a lot of things. Do you understand that? But because the world has actually evangelized the church as much as the church has evangelized the world, the church has grown confused about some really basic things. So we need to come back and declare the Word of God will be our compass. When we don't know which direction to go and what to believe, we're going to look to the Word of God, let it point us to true north, and we're going to go back to the Word. No matter what, how, no matter how I feel about it, no matter if it's popular, no matter what somebody else has to say, God's Word is God's Word, and it's God's supreme truth. Amen, amen, and the lifting of our hands. We just call that down on our lives. This, what I just said is way more important than any of us truly realize. Like, we are in a society where what I just said is majorly under attack. Tolerance. You've got to be tolerant. That's the essence of society. I was reflecting on this this last week. God was not happy with Elijah because the Bible says he tolerated Jezebel. I see where the Bible talks about tolerance. But I don't see where the Bible talks about tolerance as anything good anywhere in Scripture. Society may have elevated that, 
But I'm just telling you right now, we should love everybody, but we should not embrace a lifestyle that's contrary to the Word of God because the Word of God is the supreme truth, and I am not going to do that. You're not clapping as much as you were a moment ago. I'm telling you, I'm I'm meddling and tampering with a cultural ideology that is starting to infiltrate into the minds of so many believers, and we must address this. The Word of God has supreme authority in our lives, even the parts that I don't like, especially the parts that I don't like. This is called conviction, not condemnation. It's called conviction. And the Lord lovingly is drawing us into a place where we understand. We become deeply aware that God is at work. And in the reading of Scripture, the people were weeping in this chapter in Nehemiah. Why were they weeping at the reading of Scripture? Because God was convicting them of their sin. They weren't saying, no, I don't want any of that. I just want this other part. I'm not going to take that part. They were broken by what they heard because it didn't align with everything they believed. And they were surrendered to the plans of God. And when you find something in the Bible you don't agree with, change what you believe. They became deeply aware that God was at work. They were weeping and responding. And out of that weeping and responsiveness, that conviction that God was bringing, there began to be joyful restoration. Joyful restoration. So that's why we're talking about what it is for restoration, repentance, and refreshing to abound in all of our lives. They began building, rebuilding the ruins that existed. Those ruins were rebuilt and established so that the Word of God could be taught. Do you, do you sense, um, I'm discerning something, and again, I'm just trying to learn how to do this, and we're learning it together. Because I think too, too many times it's just easy to get ramped up and, you know, rock and roll with your revelation and your message and you just kind of plow on through. But I'm just telling you, we have stepped into a moment of utter spiritual warfare with that last little bit of dialogue I brought. Like, there is demonic... I, I said it last week, I felt kind of bad later because during worship, if you remember, I stepped up afterward and I said... I just felt the Lord was saying there was demonic activity in in, in the room and Jesus' first demon he ever passed, uh, cast out of somebody who happened in church. And then I didn't really give much more explanation. But do you understand, like, our worship is warfare. Like, when we're singing worship, the Bible says that God's right hand is punishing the enemy. I mean, your worship to the Lord. I know sometimes you come in and you don't feel like worshiping. You really should lift up your voice and lift up your hands. If you don't feel like worshiping, go even deeper. Because your children might be being impacted in that moment that you're worshiping and you choose to break free. God's drawing people into his purposes as a result of our worship. God inhabits the praises of our people. Amen, amen, and the lifting of our hands. God's trying to awaken something within his people where we understand no matter what the circumstance may be, I choose to submit to God's word, embrace the reality of his truth, lift up my hands in worship no matter what that situation may be because God inhabits the praises of his people. When I'm in a problematic scenario and I begin to worship God, God is inhabiting that problematic scenario. Give him praise when you're walking through difficulty. He's inhabiting your praise in that moment in time. 
This, this wasn't happening for over 140 years in this community until Nehemiah stepped up and said, I'm going to answer the call of God to rebuild the ruins. Then people began to gather. There was a rebuilding that had taken place. Now the reading of the word of God, the release of God's kingdom in this moment in time, hearts were broken, people were weeping. God was at work. He was about to restore and bless the people in a wild and amazing, amazing way. This is why you don't necessarily think in this way, but this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible that lands in this chapter after all of this. Have you ever said it before? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Come on, let's say it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. One more time. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen and amen and the lifting of our hands. We just receive that today. The joy of the Lord being celebrated as their strength didn't take place until the brokenness of their lives came as a result of the declaration of God's Word. God's Word is released, and when God's Word is released, something beautiful begins to happen. It wouldn't take place if it weren't for God's Word. Over 140 years, this had not been taking place. And suddenly, because of Nehemiah's heart to rebuild, the people respond. Everybody discovers their place. We talked about last week the different categories of giftedness that we saw in, in this story. All of our gifts are vitally important. I, I, I'm just telling you right now, I feel the Lord is uh, literally reaching down, taking some of you by the chin to say this to you. All of our gifts are vitally important. Stop disqualifying yourself. Ezra would have never stood on a platform if Nehemiah hadn't exercised his gift. Just because I'm on a platform doesn't mean you should be elevating any gift I carry more than your own. Do you understand? There's only one main dude in the room, and his name is not Lawrence. His name is Jesus, and we need to be all looking to him all the time. And when we get that right, then we start to all understand our own gifted lives from actually the perspective that God desires for us to understand so his kingdom begins to expand. We need you to find your place. We need you to discover who you are. and We need you to enact and mobilize the expression of your gift in your everyday life. God is at work. This, this just clearly reveals how vital it is that we study, teach, and share the Word of God in every community around the world. Would you agree? Don't, don't get lost. Hone in. I want to say it again. This clearly reveals how vital it is that we study, teach, and share God's Word in every community of the world because that's what awakens the human heart to the deeper purposes of God. So next week, we're actually going to be introducing you to some missionaries that we support as they study, teach, and share God's Word in different communities on the planet. And I just want to voice our appreciation, Megan and Randy, her assistant, uh, for <laughs> leading the charge to really help us get a 
deeper revelation of what it is to devote ourselves to the missional assignment of the body of Christ, not only in our five-foot circle in our world, but all around the globe. And so I just want to voice thank you very much for plowing into that and asking the Lord for wisdom to help us all get a deeper reality. Megan and Randy have been uh, on the mission field. They were in Nigeria for a season of time. Then they were in China uh, for a season of time. They left China just in front of COVID and uh, moved here. And so they've given their lives to missions, and now they're devoting this season of their life to helping others really understand the value of missions. So we're bringing in missionaries from different parts of the world. They're going to be here uh, next week. Our elders are going to come and surround them, and we're going to pray over them. We're going to ask them to share just a little bit of how they're studying, reading, and sharing God's Word in their community. And so we want to make sure the church family is able to see uh, kind of where our support structure is in that regard. And we want to be a blessing, not just in our community. I'm glad for those things I shared earlier. We're making an impact. I, I just rehearsed to you once again, uh, and I, I underinflate. I go lower than the percentage. So I know I'm saying this wrong to the man sitting on the front row who leads the charge with all this. Chris is very engaged in our community. But when we connected with community leaders um, the mayor, the police chief, welfare workers, and so forth, they literally said to our team that was in the meeting, your church is meeting more than 80%. He actually said more than that, but let's just go easy. More than 80% of the deepest needs of society in the immediate area of the church. How much more so with truckloads of supplies and provision that God's going to bring in here in a matter of you know six weeks or whatever that is? Come on, Lord, would you just help us to respond to you? God, we just say whatever it is you want to do. This building was once a warehouse. This building was a warehouse through a time of devastation in this community when people had suffered great damage through the tornado. And I thank you that you chose this place to provide more than 70 semi-loads of provision to people that were desperately in need. We never want to be known as the church that used to help people. We always want to be the church that really loves our community, cares for those around us, and makes a difference in a powerful, profound, and practical way. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a huge difference when we start hearing the Word of God and our hearts begin to be broken for the purposes of God to be awakened. There's a huge difference between being convicted and being condemned. And these people were experiencing conviction that leads to repentance. And again, the Bible very clearly says repentance leads to, rest, uh, to refreshment, refreshing. Repentance leads to refreshing. You, you get that? Repentance leads to refreshing. Have you ever held on to something that you knew you shouldn't? It wasn't pleasing to the Lord? If you've ever done that, just raise your hand. Just, if, if you know someone who's ever done that, just point to them. Go ahead, just... Like, you shouldn't have done that. Now you're in trouble with the Lord. Repentance brings refreshing. I, I heard this, this story of a, a little girl, a little boy, and um, the little boy had all these marbles he was playing with, and this little girl had all this candy in a bag. And she came to him and she said, hey, I'll give you all my candy if you'll give me all your marbles. And he was like, um... Let me think about it. And he went in his room and he took a bunch of marbles out of the bag and he came back. And he said, okay, I'm going to give you all my marbles, but I want all your candy. 
And she said, okay, and the exchange happened. She goes and she's playing with marbles. He goes, he's playing with marbles, and he's eating candy. He's laying in bed. She then goes to sleep, fast asleep, because she gave all of her candy, just like she said she would. He's laying in bed, and he starts reflecting. Can't go to sleep. I wonder if she gave me all her candy. That's what sin will do. It will mess you up. From the most basic, fundamental wiring, you start living in this, with this sense of something's not right, I can't really explain it. You do not want to live in a state of malfunctioning. I just want to say once again, I don't care what the world says, we'll never, ever bow to that when we have the standard of God's Word. I want to live in a place of peace with the Lord my God, don't you? I want to live in a place of harmony with humanity around me because I've loved them well. I've surrendered to God. When they have loved me, I love them. When they bless me or when they curse me, I bless them. When they mistreat me, I pray for them. That's what the Bible says to do. Man, when I'm in that state and I'm able to respond to the Lord in that way, something within me is awakened beyond any life this world has to offer. Well, let's Let's read on verses 12 to 18. We've read the reading of the word, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Repentance brought refreshing. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And now there's this really curious portion of Scripture that has had my attention since we first announced we are going to do this church-wide Bible study in Nehemiah. Because what they're about to read in this particular chapter is actually what is taking place right now according to the Jewish calendar. And, and I, I, just, I want you to understand the magnitude of what I'm saying. We did not plan this. I had no idea. Nobody talked with us about this. When we started down this journey, we felt the Lord was saying, this is what we're supposed to do in this next season of time. And then what we see is people that had neglected the understanding of the word began to discover what we're about to read about. And when I read that one day in preparation, you know, a month and a half or so ago, I was looking kind of at where the, the weeks were going to lay out and the chapters were going to land. And I thought, man, would that not be cool if when we read about the Feast of Tabernacles that it be somewhere near the Jewish calendar time? I, I just want you to know the Feast of Tabernacle or uh, Sukkot, as it is called, started this past Friday, September the 29th, and it will end this coming Friday on October the 6th. Like people are doing what we're about to read about right now. Do you think the Lord might have his hand in this? So let's pay close attention. Uh, starting chapter 8, verses 12, we're going to read through verse 18. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. This is a one-week expression or celebration that was integrated or implemented by Moses. Verse 15, then they, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. 
Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, short-term structures just the last seven days. Make these booths as it is written. So the people went out and they uh, brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, in their courts, in the courts of the house of God, in the square at the water gate, at the square of the gate of Ephraim. This is basically wherever you are dwelling, wherever you're living, make these booths uh, for you to dwell in for these seven days. Verse 17, and all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths, lived in the booths for from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing as they discovered in the Word what they were supposed to be doing and they began to do it. There was great rejoicing in verse 18. And day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This was a practice. Everybody say practice. This is so important, and the next season we're stepping into as a church, we're going to really grow in a deep revelation of what it means to move beyond mere principles and live our lives in the practices of the pursuit of God Almighty. This festival is the idea that God was introducing to humanity that there are certain practices that should perpetuate to take you back over and over again, routinely, once again. We come back at this time in the year. We're dwelling in these booths. Why are we dwelling in these booths? Your kids would say, why are we out here in the booth when we've got air conditioning in the house? Modern day question that you're going to have if you do this this week sometime. I would suggest that you do take some time to sit outside, maybe pitch a tent, Get your T-post and put a blanket over it. I don't know. Do something just to be able to express with your community, whatever your community looks like in your life, and have a meal, read the Word. Maybe everybody just shares a particular portion of Scripture that's on their heart. You have to kind of take this and apply it for whatever age your children are, or, you know, however all that works. But I would encourage you sometime this week to take time to eat food in that little hut, uh, in that area that you designate to read the Word. Word of God and just be out there thanking God for his faithfulness. The short-term nature, this is the essence of what this Sukkot is all about. The Sukkah is the tent that you're in. Sukkot is actually the festival. And the nature of the short-term structure is that which reminds us we're just passing through this world. We're not going to be here for long. And so we want to make sure we keep that perspective of a temporal nature. That's the first reason we're in this, this temporal structure. And, and then we're celebrating the provision of the Lord. We have food, maybe, uh, maybe break out and really just go all out and have some Twinkies in there or something. I mean, imagine, I can't even imagine what it's like to have a Twinkie once again in my life. I think the Lord needs to deal with my wife's heart and let me just experience the pleasures sometimes of the world. But, but whatever that looks like for you, you're in this hut and you're recognizing the temporal nature of the life that we're living. You're celebrating the provision of the Lord. This is what they were doing. The, they were celebrating the fact that the Israelites came out of the bondage of Egypt and God sustained them and provided for them through the course of the wilderness. As they were on their way to the promise, they kept looking to the Lord their God and He was faithful. And we sit in this booth and we're having this conversation. The structure is short term. The provision is something we thank God for. The word of God that we read is that which we celebrate because we are men and women of the spirit, men and women of heaven, men and women of God. 
We want to raise up our children in this regard. Do you understand the practice of this particular pattern every single year reminded the children who we are and why we do what we do? It's one thing to hope your kids get your principles, but when you implement a specific practice that reiterates a principle, it's sustained in their heart and their life. They then can carry on that practice and teach their kids and their children's children the same principles that gave birth to those practices. This is a beautiful reality of Scripture. And we're having to step back and kind of evaluate what those practices are. These were not Jewish practices. They they weren't festivals of Jews. These are the festivals of God. And so we're looking at this and saying, all right, Lord, how does this apply for us? And we want to explore that and walk that out. But here's what they did. They changed their schedule. Please listen. They changed their schedule. They spent seven days in these booths. They changed their schedule. They changed their budget. They changed their priorities. And they said, Lord, what matters to you really matters to us. And we're going to devote ourselves to be surrendered to the greater purposes of God and remind ourselves We're all just passing through. God's provision is wonderful. His word is life-giving. And reiterate, this basically was a week-long Bible camp (laughs) that all the families were having together. Anybody plan to spend seven days in a hut? (laughs) All right, we've got one volunteer. I would encourage you to start somewhere with the understanding of what we're talking about. And again, I just want to reiterate. This actually landed on this week by divine origin of God. Like the Lord's trying to wake something up within our hearts. Would you agree with that? So let's not just muse at that and say, well, that was clever. But let's say, Lord, what is it you're wanting to stir in our hearts? So I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I don't know how much longer I have to go. I I mean, the the clock doesn't concern me, but I I don't know where I am in my notes. (laughs) when your time talent and treasure is brought into a posture of submission to God it releases God's kingdom within you around you and beyond you just reflect on that for a moment stop disqualifying yourself get out of a spirit of comparison (laughs) And give consideration. God's asking us, as he did in Nehemiah's day, will you rebuild the ancient ruins of the work of God that exists in the earth? Listen very carefully. You and I live in a day where it appears to be the church is not in a state of ruin in many respects. It's functioning. Buildings are are gathering people, but I I just need you to hear me say this loud and clear, and I always have to qualify. I love the church. I help lead the church. I'm a pastor. We pastor other churches and and lead those leaders, and, and we believe in the church. But you need to hear me say, the church is in a state of decline and ruin in the day in which you and I live. That is a fact. And God is addressing it on the deepest level. And we are exploring what our role is in that. 
And as we step into the next season, I think we're going to start to have a little bit more clarity of what that means in our individual lives, what that means for us as a congregational family. And I'm praying exactly for that. Lord, would you help us to understand? I'll I, I just say it this way. I kind of keep pausing, you know, just to make sure I'm giving you a chance to kind of clear your head for a moment, you know, catch up and, and really let this sink in. If all we're doing is attracting people into buildings without truly making disciples, we're only contributing to the greater problem of disillusionment of the church in general in our world. Do you think about what I just said? We've developed this consumer-minded disposition in the way we create church worlds and God is really asking us to address this on the deepest level. And I believe it deals largely with taking principles and evaluating the practices that actually should be born from the principles we say we believe. In other words, if you believe something and it's not affecting your behavior, do you really believe it? Well, Lord, I just need your help. I feel like uh, by the Spirit of God, you're opening a can of worms today, maybe on another level than what I was anticipating. But we just say, Lord, we do trust you. We love you. We need you. We don't know where to go until we first acknowledge where we are. Adam, where are you? Come on, could we just all stand together? Do you, do you sense the Lord stirring a conversation with us today? Like, I'm just, I'm ready, man. I'm just ready. Lord, what do you want to do? But it begins by our hearts being humbled before him. So come on, would you just posture yourself just in a place of surrender? Lord, we just say today, amen, amen. With the surrender of our hands. Amen and amen. We acknowledge, Lord, you're doing a deep work in the body of Christ in this hour of our lives, and we want to be a part of whatever it is you're desiring to do as you're awakening the church to become more of who you've called us to become. We'll never know how to get where you're calling us to go until we first acknowledge where we truly are. We need you. We need you. We need you. Thank you, Lord. I just want to say, uh, 
Jesus is alive. He came, he lived, he died, but he's risen from the grave. If you believe that in your heart and you confess that with your mouth, would you say amen? <laughs> he is Lord. And what it means to walk with him is exactly that. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. And the way you live your life, we're constantly saying Jesus is Lord. And the way you see, the way a life is lived, it should be an expression that Jesus is Lord. I'm going to ask if our prayer teams will come. They're going to be under the uh, screens on both sides as we just take a few moments in worship. And I, I do... I do just want to say this. Um, I am so deeply grateful to be on this journey together with you. I've, I've had conversations with two pastors in the last two weeks that are suffering absolute train wrecks in ministry. And... As I'm listening to them and I want to, you know, encourage them, pray for them, be there for them, in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, I am so thankful for the church culture that we have in this place. And I want you to know it's something to be thankful for. I'm not saying we're perfect, but I am saying we're on this journey of authenticity of just pursuing what the Lord desires and I think we're providing the ingredients for God to really help us get some things right so I would say let's continue to press in and pray and agree for the Lord to give us wisdom and revelation together as a family as the Nehemiah's in the room keep building the platforms and the Ezra's in the room keep declaring the word and we all work together with our gifted lives and see God's kingdom expand in wonderful ways so we're just going to worship the Lord for a few moments. God's awakening something within our hearts. Let's bring that back to Him in a place of worship. If today you've made a decision that you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, we've prayed that prayer, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That is the beginning of a relationship with God. That's where salvation occurs. If that's your decision today, our prayer teams are available as we just take a few moments in worship. Would you come and just let them pray with you? If you have any need, you want to agree, let's agree for breakthrough, church family. This is a season God wants us to step into a place of breakthrough. Sometimes it's the prayer of agreement that actually brings that breakthrough in our lives over our families. So come on, let's press in and worship the Lord and let us pray with you if there's anything we can pray before we're dismissed.